0: Alright guys, we are winding down on our series of piercing the darkness we have today and then we have three more Sundays. Uh, If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand. Uh, If you need a pen, hold up a couple fingers, they'll get that to you. And uh, I know that one of those Sundays, next Sunday, is going to be the women's retreat. So a bunch of you ladies are going to be gone and then in three weeks is going to be the men's advance. A bunch of you men are going to be gone And so I would encourage you, those of you who are gone for these sermons, I would encourage you to come back and listen to them because we're going to be wrapping everything up and discussing some very important things in doing so. And I want the Whitestone family to get the full picture from start to finish when it comes to making disciples and piercing the darkness in this world around us. Okay? But today we're going to be continuing on with what we were talking about last week. Uh, Last week we began the discussion on how do we approach making disciples? How? Uh, If we are to be making disciples, then how is it that we do it? I mean, making a convert is fairly easy. We take them through a presentation that we were taught, we get them to pray a prayer, and they are converts. But we have been talking about how Jesus hasn't asked us to make converts, he's asked us to make disciples, right there in the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples, okay? so. Making disciples isn't as simple as getting someone to pray a prayer and then tell them they go to heaven when they die. I know that way is so packaged up nice and you can put a little bow on it, but as we've talked about, that isn't what Jesus did, nor is it what he told us to do. He told us to make disciples. And, And let me tell you, making disciples is hard. Here's what I've encountered in the area of making disciples. It is really kind of a meandering road. We will encounter turns and, and twists in the road. Um, it isn't neat and tidy. It can be a long, difficult road. And each person is so different, it can't really be packaged. People are stubborn. Some people are proud. Some people are unteachable. Some people have hang-ups with God. Some people have preconceived ideas and belief systems that they've taken on in this world and the enemy has so burnt them into their systems that it takes the grace of God to remove it and replace it with truth. All of this is part of the process. It is part of the journey. Making disciples is hard. It can be frustrating. And you know how I can say that? You know how I know that making disciples is is hard and frustrating? Because it was frustrating for Jesus. Jesus. There were many times where Jesus was like, how long must I put up with you? In Matthew 17, he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And I remember he's trying to teach these 12 disciples, and, and, and the disciples, a bunch of kids were coming And they wanted to, you know, parents wanted them, Jesus, to bless his kids. And they're they're running up to Jesus and disciples are like, get out of here. No, don't be bothering Jesus. And they're trying to shoo the kids away. And Jesus is like, no, let them come. And he he used it as a teaching lesson. He says, listen, unless you have the heart of a child, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. Another time, he's dealing with this multiple times. The disciples, full-grown men, they're arguing amongst themselves about who's the best disciple, who's the most important. And they're all like, well, I certainly am. Well, I think I am. Well, I'm this guy. And and Jesus is like, oh, my land. Guys, let me tell you, he brings a kid up to him. And once again, he goes, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, guess what? you got to learn to be the slave. you got to be the servant of all. One time, Peter, you know, he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he goes, man, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, bingo, Peter. You nailed it. And you know what? No man told you that. The heavenly father told you that. Minutes later, Jesus is telling them about how he's going to have to die. He's going to have to give up his life. And Peter's like, oh, 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 Jesus, time out with this whole talking about death thing. Uh, don't, Don't be talking about your death. Okay, that's not going to happen. And Jesus looks at Peter, who had just said that, and he goes, get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, adversary. For you're talking about the things of men, you're not talking about the things of God. And I can imagine Jesus going, oh, my land. I mean, there were clear times where Jesus was like, can we speed up the process of getting this through your thick heads? So if making disciples wasn't easy for Jesus, I promise you it won't be easy for us either. We need the power and the strength and the grace of the Holy Spirit in us to do it. And thank goodness we have that, amen? We can't do it on our own, and you just need to know that ahead of time. Don't try to do this alone. You will not be able to. You need the Holy Spirit to do it. Okay, I'm going to continue on from last week with some key points that we need to consider when making disciples. Okay, last week we talked about understanding where people were at. They were spirit, They are spiritually dead. Okay, they're not just half alive, they are dead. Not only that, they are lost. And we talked about how they aren't worthless. They're worth everything to God. They're precious in the sight of God, but they are lost, okay? They are slaves to sin. They are sinful. That is their identity. And we talked about how we need to meet them where they are at. Don't try to make them change their behavior. They can't do that. They need to be regenerated first, Okay? They need Jesus to make them spiritually alive again, otherwise they can't be changed. So all those things we talked about last week, and we're going to continue that conversation today. So let's look at some other important things we need to understand when making disciples. And the first I want to start with today is make sure that when you're talking with these people that you are in a conversation and not in a manipulation What I found in so many presentations of the gospel, and I'm talking about making converts, in these presentations they are amazingly crafted and put together to convince someone to make the decision to profess their belief in the work of Christ. To get them to pray the prayer. I mean, they are very persuasive arguments. They have been literally written and put together that way. You can take classes. There are conferences that you can go to to become certified at being a presenter of this gospel so that you can teach other classes to teach others to do it. It's been laid out brilliantly and perfectly to convince people to make the deal. In fact, we were often taught, if they say this, then you say that. Now, they'll probably answer with this, and then you can answer with that. When you answer with that, they will not be able to argue with this You've got them in a corner, and there isn't any argument for it. The entire presentation is rehearsed and laid out. We were taught exactly what to say and when to say it, depending on what they came at us with. Now, back then, I thought that was a great thing because I thought, this is awesome. I could literally persuade them to believe. They can't argue with me. They'd be idiots to dismiss what I'm saying. So I thought that was cool. I could control the entire conversation, and as we all know, we love to be in control, don't we? I have since come to see that that isn't what we should be doing. Controlling a conversation is nothing more than manipulation. The minute that we start controlling a conversation, it's no longer a conversation. We are not to go out and manipulate those who we are talking to. The Apostle Paul said this, he goes, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of what? The Spirit's power. Now listen, that does not mean that we don't need to know what we're talking about. It does not mean that we can't have answers to questions they ask. Of course we can, and we should. But we don't manipulate the conversations to lead them to our desired end point. Guess what, the Holy Spirit will do that. God knows where this person is at, he knows what this person needs to hear, so listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. I love that, that's the best way to approach this. Because a lot of times what we fear when we go out to, you know, to share Christ with people, what is the biggest thing we fear? I don't know what to say. I'm scared I might say something wrong. You don't need to worry about that. Just follow the Holy Spirit. He will guide you. I love the passage where Jesus, he gives us insight into how he went around and did what he did. Check this out in John 12. He says, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So listen to this. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Even Jesus did not manipulate or control conversations. Sometimes I wished he had of. Remember that time when he was arrested? And they're saying all these things against him? I'm like, Jesus, come on, take control of this conversation. I mean, you beat those bad boys down. But he just sat there silent. He only said what his father told him to say. And I love that. He was in such communication with his father, he allowed the Spirit of God to tell him what to say. And not only what to say, how to say it. That's what we are to do. Not just control the conversation how we want it to go. Okay? So don't manipulate the conversations. Let the person open the doors to your conversation. When they open the doors, they are asking you to come in. That is when you can enter. I find that so many people try to force open the door. I remember sitting on an airplane next to my friend, he was sitting in the center seat and there was another person next to him by the window and this person was, you know, we just took off, he was getting ready to pull out his ear and put them in his ear, and my friend turned to him and says, uh, hey buddy, can I uh, ask you a question? So he's like, uh, sure, what's up? He goes, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, he said, why should I let you into heaven, how would you answer that? And he goes, uh, honestly don't know. And he went to go put his earbuds, and he goes, well, you really should know. You should know the answer to that. And the guy's like, uh, okay. And he goes, yeah. And so my friend just continues to talk. And I was reading the body language of this guy, and it, and it was just like, dude, I, I mean, he didn't say this, but he's like, dude, I don't want to talk to you right now. And what my friend was doing, it was like he almost knocked on the door, and the guy goes, hello, yeah, I don't really want to talk to you. My friend's all, boom. <laughs> all right, I'm in your house, baby. We're going to talk. And this guy just has to deal with it. Now, what that does is that communicates to that person that Christians can be jerks. And if Christians are jerks, then Jesus is a jerk. We don't want to convey that to people. We must act in love. We would never do that in someone's house, so let's don't do it in our conversations. Instead, what we need to do is pay attention to divine appointments that God orchestrates in their lives. Now, you may be asking, well, what is a divine appointment? A divine appointment is when God is working behind the scenes in such a way that the person will open the door and literally ask you to come in. That's a divine appointment. And it's crazy how God will use literally anything to create divine appointments. Even Jesus, he's sitting at a well, he's thirsty, a woman comes up and he goes, hey, could you get me a drink? And boom, suddenly a conversation started where it was a divine appointment and that woman understood finally who Jesus was, the whole town was preached to and it was amazing. Now I'll tell you this, some divine appointments happen when the person is going through a very difficult hardship. God often can use those hard times to create an opportunity in their life to be open to God. I have seen God do that over and over again. I'll also say this, that often in a divine appointment, the enemy is working just as hard on the other end. The enemy is trying to use the situation for evil. God is wanting to use it for good. For instance, sudden deaths, divorces, accidents, things like that. Trust me, the enemy is doing his best to use these times to destroy that person's life, but God can use these events for good. Because often in these events, that person's life, it, it will jerk them out of their slumber and allows them to see into the unseen realm far better than they ever have. And it's during those times that we need to truly be sensitive to God's leading and allow him to use us to do his work. remember back when I was a youth pastor, I was doing a side job for a guy. He I don't know how he got my name, but went over to his house and he was this big, tough dude and uh, he's like, yeah, I want to build a deck in the back of my house. And so... I was building a deck, and he's like, so Luke, you, I mean, you just, just do this on the side, what do you do? And I'm like, actually, I'm a youth pastor. And he's like, oh, okay, I don't want to talk about that. you know, And he just <laughs> didn't want to talk about that conversation. So I just let it go. And did his deck for him, and we kind of became friends. He uh, friended me on Facebook, which is a real sign of closeness. And uh, <laughs> a couple months later, I got a message from his wife, and she said, hey, Luke, I don't know if you knew this or not, but... My husband uh, was in a terrible car accident, and he's in such and such a hospital. I just thought you'd wanna know. And so I actually went to the hospital, I went and visited him with him, he's there, you know, and he's in the cast, and he's just all banged up and bruised, and, and I'm like, you know, trying to talk to him, and he's talk about, you know, normal stuff there, or whatever, and I felt like the Spirit of God says, ask him if you can pray for him. And so I said, Ed, do you mind if I pray for you, bud? And uh, he, he couldn't get anywhere, so he's like, um, <laughs> Yeah, please. And so I began to pray for him. And I tell you guys, here's a full-grown man, stud of a dude. He begins to weep and weep and weep. Now that was a divine appointment, because after, when he healed up, he bought another house and he wanted me to build a deck for him there. And you know what, guys? In that time, between those those times of praying for him in the hospital, we had some amazing conversations about spiritual things. God opened that door. I remember one time, I think I've told this story, I was at Aldi's and uh, um, I didn't have a quarter so I'm carrying all the stuff in my hands. I didn't get the little cart, you know, because I was trying to pull it and it's chained all up. And so I'm carrying the stuff to the checkout thing and uh, a woman had all of her stuff there and I'm, I had two, you know how you hold the milk with two fingers and I had two jugs and I'm holding there and I'm like, I went to go put it up on the thing to just rest myself and she shot me a glance like, back off, punk, my stuff is here. So I kind of lifted it back down, I'm holding Well, she checks all of her stuff through, and she goes to pay, and this was back when they didn't accept credit card. All you could use was a check card, and so she gave her her credit card, and the lady goes, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, we only take check card. And she's like, what? And she's like, oh, my. She's looking in her wallet, and she couldn't find a check card. She goes, oh, my daughter must have my check card. And so I felt the Spirit of God, says, Luke, just pay for it. So I took my check card, and I swiped it. I says, ma'am, don't worry about it. You're taken care of. And she turned at me, and she just began to just sob. And I'm like, are you okay? I mean, that's supposed to be a good thing, you know? And so I'm like, you okay? And she goes, my husband just died last night, and I was just coming to get some food because the family's coming over, and we're going to talk about the funeral. And she goes, thank you so much. And so I walked over, and I gave her a big old hug, and the lady who was checking her out came. She came run around. We're doing a big group hug. <laughs> And uh, went out to the parking lot and she was putting her stuff in her, in her trunk and I felt the spirit of God said, pray for her. So I walked up to her and I says, ma'am, can I pray for you? She goes, I would love that. So I prayed for her. Now, I never saw that woman again, have no idea, you know, where she's at right now or what happened with that. Here's the point. It was a divine appointment. And you know what that taught me? How many times I have not paid attention to divine appointments and I've just been only thinking about myself, doing whatever I want, and I've blown past people when God would have wanted to use me. Guys, we have to pay attention to divine appointments, amen? Let's make sure we do. Next point, one of the biggest changes in my life in trying to change my thinking from making converts to making disciples is that I'm not leading a person to praying a prayer, I'm leading that person to another person, to Jesus. And if you're going to lead them to Jesus, Jesus needs to be seen in your life. How can you introduce someone to a person you don't know? You can't. We must know Jesus, which remember, knowing Jesus is eternal life. When we are living out an eternal life in our own lives, people will see Jesus in us, and we can then lead them to Jesus, and it will be natural because they see Jesus in us. Not just some presentation, not some rehearsed set of slick, convincing arguments, not just some prayer that we have them pray. No, we lead them to a person that we know well, who we have an interactive relationship with. We lead them to Jesus. So that being said, one of the ways we approach making disciples is that we live in such a way that they see that we know Jesus that we do life with Jesus every day, in our actions, in our speech, in our everything. They will see our relationship with him. Let me give you an example. Let me ask you a question, am I married or am I single? Married, okay, for those of you who said I'm married and you've never met my wife, you've never seen my wife, I want you to raise your hand, okay? How do you know I'm married if you've never seen my wife? I'm wearing a ring, okay? Who else raised their hand? How do you know I'm married if you've never seen my wife? Okay, I talk about her, okay? Who else raised their hand? Nobody wants to answer now. (laughs) What would be another reason that you guys know that I'm married? Other Other people talk about how they've met her. Okay, very, very good. All right, here's the point. I talk and I act like I'm married. I tell stories of my wife. I have a ring that signifies that I'm married. I have pictures on my phone of my wife. I will talk to my wife on, on the phone in front of some of you. In fact, I was just at Pick and Save the other day, and Colleen and Lee and Sarah were there, and I had my little earbuds in, and they come in and say, hey, Luke, how you doing? I'm like, hey, guys, hey, I'm actually on the phone with Shauna. And they're like, hey, Shauna, and we were you know, kind of talking through me. I will text my wife in front of some of you. Other people have told you that I have a wife because they have met her. Here's the point. I live my life in such a way that I communicate to the world that I have a wife. And those actions communicate to the world that I have a wife. We must do the same with God. Live your life in front of unbelievers in such a way that they can see that you have a relationship with God. Make it part of your everyday life. Make it who you are. That does not mean that you go everywhere and just start preaching. Guys, let me show you in 2 Thessalonians what it says here, and I'm gonna take you through this. No, you don't have to do that. It means that you don't hide your relationship with God from anyone. Let me give you some simple examples. When you talk about good things in your life, great things that have happened or, or, or that are happening, don't use the word lucky, use the word blessed. Let people know that you've been blessed by God in your life, not that you're somehow lucky that something has happened. Let me just give you a quick example. In 2020, I was going to sell my house, and I wanted to go buy. I wanted to be out in the country. You guys have heard that story. And uh, so I remember I found this piece of property. It was 10 acres, had a barn on it, had a little pasture, everything I wanted. The house needed a ton of work, but I was okay. I was willing to do that. And so I talked to the family, and they were going to sell it to me we'd agreed on it. And so I put my house up for sale and I had a buyer and I was going to sell it in 3 weeks. And I got a call from the family of the house that I was going to buy and they said, "Hey, listen, we talked about as a family and we decided we're not going to sell." And I'm like, "You got to be kidding me. Dude, my house is going to sell in 3 weeks and you're backing out of the sale." And he's like, "Yeah, that's what we decided." I'm like, "I'm going to be homeless." And so, I mean, I, I was really shook up. I was really disappointed, really discouraged. And the next day, my realtor calls me, and she goes, hey, Luke, um, a house just came on the market out near Sullivan. Do you want to go look at that? I'm like, well, might as well. So hopped into her car. We drove out there and walked into the house. And I walked in, I was like, I felt, you know, I felt like I heard from God. I felt like he said, welcome to your new house. And I went, this is amazing. The house didn't need any work. It was a nice piece of property. It was beautiful. It had an outbuilding and everything. It was like, oh my word, this is awesome. And so I didn't even talk to my wife. I put an offer in. <laughs> I know my wife well enough that she was okay with it. And so I put it in right then and there. I put the offer in for what they were asking. It was on the high end of my, there's no, I couldn't offer anymore. And I'm like, here it is. That day, six other offers came in and they blew me out of the water. In fact, the top offer was so much more that it was just made complete sense that they would never go with the bottom offer. So that night, my realtor called me and says, hey, Luke, just to let you know they rejected your offer. I'm like, of course. So I was really discouraged, really disappointed, and because I'm like, man, this sure seemed like this was going to be it. Ten days later, which I'm down to like a week and a half away from my closing date, I get a call on a Friday night around 10 p.m., 10, 10.30 10 p.m., and it was my realtor, and I'm like, this is odd. So I answer the phone, I'm like, hello? she goes, hey, Luke, I hope I didn't wake you up. She goes, but I, I got some news for you. I'm like, what's up? She goes, the owners of the house out near Sullivan, they just contacted me and they said they accept your offer. I'm like, what? I said, what happened? She goes, I have no idea. She goes, this never happens in the real estate world. This is crazy. So I'm like, wow, this is okay, cool. And so on closing, I didn't know what had happened, but on closing, their realtor was there at the closing, and she came up to Sean and I, and she's like, you must have God on your side. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I do, but uh, tell me what happened. And she goes, well, this was crazy. I said, do you mind telling me? She goes, I can't tell you all the details, but I do know this. She goes, six other offers were above you, and the top offer blew you out of the water. But the wife told her husband, she goes, I think that we should sell it to this Luke and Shauna. And the husband goes, well, you can think all you want. We're gonna sell it to the highest offer because we're gonna make money on this house. And so they rejected mine and they were gonna go with that. 10 days later, I don't know what happened, but the husband came back to the wife and said, do you really feel like we're supposed to sell it to this Luke and Shauna? And she goes, I really do. He goes, all right. Let's skip the other six and let's go right to the bottom and let's sell it to them, and that's what they offered. Now, I could go around and tell everybody, dude, I am so lucky, so lucky that that happened. But I'll tell you something, luck had nothing to do with it. I was deeply, both my, all my family was deeply blessed by my Heavenly Father that that was provided. Guys, here's the truth. Luck has nothing to do with our lives. What is luck anyways? We have a heavenly father who loves us. And you know what? This is what we should believe. In James 1:17 it says, "Every good, how much? Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the what? Father of the heavenly lights, from our father." Do we believe that? We should, because it's true. We aren't lucky, we are blessed. Let the people around you know who it is that blessed you. Don't hide that from them. Here's another example of letting them see your relationship with God. Pray in front of them and pray for them. If we claim to have a relationship with God, then talk to him. And talk to him in front of the people that you're with just like I was on the phone with Shauna the other day in Pick and Save and I was talking to her in front of those people, we need to do that with God. Sure, it may seem weird to them at first, but after a while they start to realize that you aren't doing this as a show, you're doing it because you know God and you have a relationship with him. When you're sitting down to eat with someone, take some time to thank God for that meal. Simply say, do you mind if I just thank God for the food that we're about to eat? I've never been told no by anyone. And then, while I'm thanking God for the food, I often thank God for that person, for my friend, for blessing the world with this person's presence in it. I'll pray that God would use him today in his workplace and be a blessing to the people around him. I'll often pray for their family and their marriage, and I pray for them, and it means the world to them. There have been times I've been praying for the person across the table, and when we're done, I'll look up, and there's tears running down his eyes. I've always felt like it is the most loving thing to do for someone is to pray for them, because you're bringing that person before the very throne of God, and you're asking for God's grace and mercy to be poured out on that person. That's an incredibly loving thing to do. I think that's why Jesus tells us to pray for those who mistreat us, pray for our enemies, because it's a loving thing to do. But praying for someone in front of them is not only a loving thing, it is a powerful thing. They will experience the power of God in real time. I remember one time we had a person here at the church who um, they died. It was a horrific death. They had taken their own life, and it, was, it just sent shockwaves through the whole church family, and I had to go and visit with the family uh, of the person. And I'd never met them before. And they were not believers. And so I, you know, I, I find my way to their house and I get out and there's a bunch of Harley bikes and there's, you know, trucks. And, and I get out and there's these big, tough dudes with big beards and bald heads in the And they're like, Who are you? And I'm like, I'm the pastor from the <laughs> church. And they're like, oh, what do you need? I'm like, I just wanted to talk with you guys and you know see how you're doing. And so I, they, they brought me in the house. They're like, here's the pastor. And so I'm talking to people, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I'm kind of freaking out. I'm like, God, you're gonna have to help me here. I'm gonna have to do, I wanna do this with you. And I felt the spirit of God says, start by praying for them. And so I said, guys, can we gather in a circle and I just want to pray for you. And so they all gather in a circle and I begin to pray. And guys, I haven't had this happen many times, but this was the most powerful time. When I began to pray, the Spirit of God went Poof! And these big, tough dudes with beards in their head, they began to cry. And a couple of them ran out of the room because they so shook them up. Now you know who that was? That was the presence of God hitting them they never experienced that before. And it would have never happened had I not prayed for them. Pray for people. It's powerful. And it's a loving thing to do. Here's another way to show them your relationship with God. When they're facing certain situations in their life, share with them what Jesus would do. Give them advice of what Jesus would say or do. Whatever given situation, say, hey, I would encourage you to try this. This is what Jesus would say. I remember one time this guy, he, and a, he was divorced, and his ex-wife and him, they could not communicate. They fought and fought and fought and fought, and they were trying to make decisions for their kids, and it was just a big fight all the time. They just could not talk. And so he called me up frustrated. He goes, I don't know what to do. This is ridiculous. She's such a jerk, and she's this and that. And I'm like, hey, bro, I says, I want to encourage you with something. Um, and this guy was not a believer. I says, I know this may seem weird, but here's what Jesus would do. Jesus, in his word, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And he talks about doing good to those who mistreat you. Now, I know that's the last thing you want to do, but I would encourage you to do what Jesus said. He's like, dude, it won't work. Promise you, not with this woman. <laughs> I'm like, well, I encourage you to try it. A person called me that afternoon, he goes, you're never going to believe this. We had our first conversation, and we made some decisions for the kids. I'm like, Praise God, bro. When you follow Jesus' advice, that's what happens. Another person was a construction worker, and he was going to collect a bill from a customer, and the customer was just giving him problem after problem after problem, didn't want to pay the bill, and he was like, you know what, dude, I am ready to get the lawyer. I'm going to beat this guy's you know, door down. I'm so sick of this. And he goes, I have to meet him with this afternoon, and I'm so mad. I'm like, dude, I would encourage you. Here's what Jesus would do. And I explained to him what Jesus would do. And he goes, dude, I don't know if it's going to work for this customer. I'm like, well, try it. He called me that afternoon. And he goes, dude, you're never going to believe it. I showed up there. I was humble, like you said. I was kind in my answers to him. I didn't come back with anger. You know what? He wrote me a check, and he paid me what I asked. I'm like, dude, see? Follow Jesus. Here's another way to show them your relationship with God. Let them see your holiness, your light in your life. But don't talk about your holiness. We talked this, about this in the beginning of the series. Don't think that you have to fit in with the world to reach the people of the world. I know some people think that. They think that's the best advice. You know, when I get in with the world, I gotta talk like him, and I gotta cuss and drop F-bombs, and, and I gotta tell the dirty jokes just so that I fit in, and then I can show them Jesus. What? <laughs> Guys, engaging in darkness in order to reach those living in darkness is about as silly as becoming a sick person in order to heal a sick person. I mean, if you were sick and you went to a doctor and the doctor came in and he's all like this and there's scabs and rashes all over him, He's like, hey, open your mouth. I want to look at your mouth. And see." How you You're like, dude, back off. I don't want you. <laughs> you look worse off than me. No, you want a healthy doctor. You don't want to go to some sick doctor. So don't engage in darkness to reach those living in darkness. That's just stupid. You don't have to fit in. You should not fit in with the world. How does light fit in with darkness? It doesn't, so don't try. Instead, just be light. And don't shy away from it. Light attracts people. Cool thing about when we live holy lives, we are shining the light of God in a dark world. Goodness is pouring out of our lives in a very bad world. And when people see that goodness, they see that holiness, they see that light, it stands out to them. Now that does not mean you go around and talk about your holiness and how good you are. A doctor does not walk in the room and go, ah, let me tell you how healthy I am. No, he addresses you. And you can see that this doctor is healthy or not. So don't show off your holiness. You don't have to spout it off for everyone to see. Don't draw attention to it. Just live it. And when you live light, you don't have to draw attention to it. Everybody sees the light. And you know what the cool thing is? When you shine your light, they don't glorify you. Guess who they will glorify? God. Jesus said this. He goes, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your what? Your Father in heaven. Here's another great way for them to see God in your life. Involve them in your ministering to others with Jesus. Don't hold back from involving them. When they get to see you and Jesus work together, it's infectious to them. When they see Jesus impact a person's life, they'll walk away changed, and they got to be part of it. Remember, I was at a restaurant meeting with a guy, and uh, he didn't know Jesus. This was many years ago. And uh, remember, we thanked the Lord for the meal before time, and uh, like halfway through our breakfast, an old couple got up that was in the table next to us. They walked by us, and they said, hey, we noticed that you prayed before the meal. And that just really stood out to us. That was really cool. And I'm like, well, well, praise God. We were just thanking God for the food. And I says, what are you guys up to? You staying out trouble? You know, and they were like, oh, we're actually going to the doctor. I'm like, oh, no. I says, are you okay? And she goes, well, she kind of teared up. She's like, I've been diagnosed with cancer. I'm like, I am so sorry. I said, do you mind if we just pray for you right now? She goes, oh, I would love that. And so I told the guy, I says, can you just put your hand on her? And I says, we're just going to pray for you. So he's like, you know, puts his hand out. And and I began to pray. And at the end, she's just crying. Her husband's crying. And I says, well, we're going to continue to pray for you. I hope the doctor's appointment goes well. We get done. The guy across from the table goes, that was awesome. That was awesome. And I'm like, dude, when you do, I didn't say this to him, but I'm like, you do life with Jesus. It is awesome. And he got to be a part of that. You see, when you're, what you're doing for these people is you're demonstrating to them that Jesus is real. That you do life with Jesus every day. That is norm for you. And that Jesus has so changed your life, you know that he'll change everyone else's life who lets him. And when they see you sharing Jesus with others and how you live, they can't help but want that too. Last thing I want to mention about letting them see God in your life is this, and this one's a very powerful one. Let them see that you fear God and not man. Everywhere you look in the world, men fear other men. They live worrying about what others think of them. They live with anxiety. With all the social media out there, anxiety is at an all-time high, trust me. Everyone's worried that they don't match up with everyone else. They aren't as good as everyone else. We're always worried about optics. And why? Because they fear man. Proverbs 29 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. You look up that Hebrew word, and it is a ring and a bull's nose. You can grab a big old bull, and you can jerk him around with a ring in his nose. Well, that's what fear of man does. It's like being pulled around everywhere. But it says, whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I want to encourage us to live lives of fearing God. This will stand out to the world incredibly. We're used to seeing men fear other men. We see that everywhere, but when a person fears God, that stands out. Let me tell you, wife son, if you want to do a Bible study, do a Bible study on the fear of God. I tell you, you're in for a treat. Verse after verse after verse tell us the beauty and goodness it brings to our lives when we fear God. People who fear God, they live confident lives. They live holy lives. They live powerful lives. God pours out his mercy on those who fear him. He pours out his understanding on those who fear him. He pours out his wisdom on those who fear him. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The Bible tells us that fearing God is the beginning of wisdom, The Bible tells us that fearing God leads to life. The Bible tells us that blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Do you want your life to be a fountain of eternal life flowing out? Fear God. You want your life to be a life of wisdom? Fear God. Do you want to be blessed? Fear God. You see, when you fear God, those you are ministering to, they experience the effects of that. They see a power in you that is rare, that is not normal in this world. They see that you live your life beholding to a person far greater than anyone else on this earth. Far greater than anyone else in this universe, for that matter. And your life shows that. White learn to fear God in your life and allow the people around you to see that. I promise you, it will have impact. That should be a prayer for each of us. Lord, teach me to fear you that I may walk in your ways. And the impact of that answered prayer will have ripple effects for eternity, I promise you, amen? All right, we're gonna stop here for today. I have one more sermon next week where we're gonna look at the advice from the Apostle Paul. Paul. The advice he gives us on how to approach making disciples, I believe we could all learn from it. So we're gonna look at one more week of looking at how to approach, and then we got some other things to wrap up this series. So we'll look at that next week. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you that you've given us the opportunity to be representatives of you to this world. You've asked us to be ambassadors to this world. And I pray that we would take that seriously. God, may we not look at it as a chore or some drudgery, but may we look at it as a wonderful opportunity. So God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, by your grace, that you would empower us to go out into this world and pierce the darkness with your light. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Let it be so. Amen. Love you guys very, very much. Have an amazing week. If any of you guys would like to be prayed for, if you have anything to pray over, There's a group of people over here by the cross. They would love to pray with you. So come on over and let them do that.